lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, filling out mock drafts leading up to the actual draft in April, filling out March Madness brackets that are going to be dumpster fires within the first weekend of the tournament here. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a wash party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. I'm going to pretend to be a TV exec right now as we talk about uh, last weekend's four NFL divisional round playoff games. Guys, they averaged 40 million viewers on television and digital platforms, the highest on record dating back to 1988. More people, just for reference here, watched the Bills Chiefs than all the World Series games combined. Okay? Jesus. Yeah, that's pretty crazy to hear that. So as you look at these numbers, I mean, the average of these viewers is just crazy. So guys, what do you credit most for the rating spike this season? I don't know what, because there's been a, there's always chatter online, right? About like, oh, are they going to change this rule? Cause like for the viewers, because for us, it's annoying to see it, but then numbers don't lie. Everybody's tuning in. I mean, this one feels like, again, a win for those of us on the right side of history. I'm not saying she's the sole reason, but I love when these rating spikes coincide with games that Taylor Swift is at. Yes. Like, I'm sorry. Oh, like, yeah. And shout out to her for giving us the phrase dads, brads, and chads. It just rolls off the tongue now so easily, but got to be a lot of people down bad seeing that number this morning. Because, Dad, we know it was oh. about the quarterback matchup. Mahomes and Allen is box office every single time. It's the best proven commodity in the NFL at this point in terms of arrival. But, oh, by the way, shirtless Jason Kelsey and normal Taylor Swift, more than good enough to help add to this i mean without question this was going to be a monster thing and then remember the casey miami game was on peacock and that set a record probably a lot of swifties getting a subscription for the first time on that one uh, listen this comes down to it's just the most popular sport there is in the country and people can't get enough football it's football and then it's college it's nfl and then it's college football it's just where we are think of green bay san francisco was the most watched Saturday telecast on any network since the 94 Olympics on CBS. I mean, th this is, this is what, what football does. It's historic on people that view it. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know anything other than to say it could just continues to be the most popular sport. And 
they've gone through, I mean, over the, the time I've been in this business, the NFL has certainly gone through some things, right? Where you wonder, is this finally something that's going to dent the NFL? And it gets, and it gets you know, banged down a little bit. And you wonder, man, because some big stuff, you know, from the concussions to domestic violence to steroids, there, there are some big things that have gone on and they've gone through some tumultuous times. But, but at the end of the day, they come out on top. They always do. It's, I don't know what it would take to kill the NFL. It's like a cockroach. It will always be around no matter what. Yeah, I, I would say, too, with this, why we're seeing the numbers explode even more. I mean, think about at this point of the year, what you've gotten in a year that was marred by quarterback injury all the way through. You had some of the best that were on display this weekend, right? Jordan Love and the Packers being one of the storied brands in the sport. The Packers 49ers being a matchup that everyone watches and all, and you know, obviously Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, two of the best at what they do in the NFL. We will get to some right. of that in a second. After I rewatched that one yesterday, dear God, Josh Allen, the things that he is capable of. But, Dad, I think you had marquee quarterbacks and matchups. You had brand names and matchups that people already are used to, right? We're used to the Bills and Chiefs playing in the postseason and knowing that game is going to be something great. They've got the biggest quarterback names in the sport. The Packers and 49ers feel like they've been deciding one of the entrants into the NFC Championship for the last five or so years and just had a different quarterback name at the helm for Green Bay. On and on down the list, I, I think you've got the right quarterbacks at the right time. And this weekend, you actually had good games as opposed to the wild card weekend where you had a bunch of blowouts for the most part. Now, you can exclude the Baltimore Ravens and Houston Texans from well, that, but by and large, the rest were all really good games so that was the least watched houston and baltimore but it was still the most watched espn game since it started doing games in yeah. 1987 and that was the least watch at just under 32 million uh viewers on that one then next uh third was green bay san francisco then tampa bay detroit which i wasn't sure what was obviously with detroit but Tampa Bay is surprised to be there, but the, just Detroit, the perennial underdogs, most watched visit around game on NBC since the 93 season. So, I mean, there was, there's something for everybody, right? I mean, that's, that's what it just turns out to be. Again, I don't know what hurts this product. God knows it's had, as I mentioned, it's had some things, but it just keeps surviving and keeps getting better and better. That's why you're going to see it streaming more because yeah. people get it. People will complain about it, but people are going to get going to get it. You complain, but you watch. It's just the way it is well, with the NFL. I was going to say, part of it is a sad indictment about what we're willing to tolerate from a league that does not care about the fans that watch it by and large and really does not care at a lot of junctures about the players that play it because they know they've got us, right? They know we're addicted to violence yep. at the core of this sport, and so they can basically do whatever they want. And you're absolutely right, Dad, for all the people that complained about streaming – the NFL knew exactly how this was going to go, and because of that, they're going to be able to leverage it into average fans having to spend more money to watch right. their favorite team play on a platform that's going to be able to provide the NFL with more money. That's the only thing they care about. It's amazing that the product has been able to succeed despite the fact that the people running it do not have to care about the people watching it. I, I, owners' meetings, I'm telling you, that there's, there's not owners in there saying, but is this good for the fans? Is this good for the sport? It's like how much money is going into our pocket. As I said, when you watch Charlie Brown and you hear the, the teacher go, want, 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 that's all owners hear until the subject gets to money and what's going in their pocket, and then their ears perk up. And listen, it's a business. They're allowed to do that. 
Every business, you know, that, that a for-profit business is allowed to do what they, they need to do to make money. And along those, those lines, you know, the fans have to pay more. Uh, listen, the players, in all honesty, the rules are better for them now than when I played. It, it is, it's never a safe game, but it, it, it is safer than it was when I played. It's still obviously a dangerous game. Uh, but the owners are in it, and they're all, whatever they bought their teams for and what they could sell them for, it's ridiculous the amount they make. If you're asking, and to Dad's point, what might actually drive people away, I truly don't have an answer for what would happen. Nope. I think it would have to be years of poor quarterback play and attrition at that position that's now more accessible than ever because we stopped just letting white guys that stood in the pocket play the position. And so you've got more people that are now accessing it and are able to try and track for that growing up. But, I mean, last year we literally had a player almost die on the field, and it didn't yeah. do anything to the way that people perceive the violence around this game. And so that should tell you a lot about what's going on here. The only other thing I had, Dad, before we get to some superlatives from the weekend that was, going back, the most watched game of the weekend was that Kansas City and Buffalo game. And I know we've spun that around a lot. And I saw a weird wave of Josh Allen debate online and I don't know where you fell on this coming off the game where there were a lot of people defending it. I saw, um, why am I blanking on his name? Former um, Giants offensive lineman who works for the NFL Network now. Sean O'Hara? Um, Sean O'Hara went, went on the NFL Network the other day and said that if you gave him a choice, even after that game of quarterbacks that he could pick from this postseason, he would take Josh Allen over even Patrick Mahomes based on what he saw there. I think that take was a little bit too spicy, but on the other side, there was a large crowd of people that were also saying, well, if Josh Allen's so good, he just needed to win the damn game. I can assure you, going back and rewatching that thing, they didn't lose that game because of Josh Allen. Like, I hate to break it to anybody there. You can feel like them running into that ceiling enough and QB win this thing through him. And we are unfair to other quarterbacks in certain regards in that way. And we all think I'd need to do better in that as a public. They didn't lose that game because of Josh Allen. I'm sorry. I just cannot go down that road. Not with the things that I saw that man do in the body of that game in key moments that weren't rewarded either by his receivers or by the special teams unit around him or by a defense that maybe had just atrophied too much because of injury to hold up. But Josh Allen, I'm sorry, does not get the blame for that loss in my book listen teams that have quarterbacks like Josh Allen are in the position they are because of their quarterbacks even though he threw 18 interceptions this year and for a while it looked like their season was really going down the toilet but one of the big reasons it doesn't is it didn't it's because of him now the running attack uh, got a lot better with Cook but he runs the ball well as well again the only play I look at Mike a lot talk about Chris Jones uh, pushing Dawkins into uh, Allen and, and I, I've seen that play a few times to me I just felt Allen was still strong enough to get that ball uh, you know to the end zone on that play that was an underthrow to uh, to Shakir on that one I believe it was Khalil Shakir in the end zone that was just the one I, I, I thought he had the chance to get it there and he didn't yeah, and, and that's certainly, uh, I think, another example of just what the level is of expectation for Josh Allen yeah, in that yeah. game. Because, Dad, yeah. you look at the rest of the game. He did everything. For all the people that complained about Josh's playing style early in the season and what it was at the midpoint there, Josh gave you everything you wanted, supposedly, in this game. Josh Allen took what was there and what the defense gave him, especially underneath for the vast majority of that game. He was a value add to the rushing attack the way he had been down the stretch, and right. especially in the postseason. And he took care of the football. 
outside of, and there was the fumble when he took off on a run late in the game that Spencer Brown ended up recovering. But outside right. of that, you saw him actively turn down some more dangerous throws because he was being cognizant of valuing the football. You can argue that's probably something you don't want to corral as much with Josh Allen because so much of that game plan was hyper-conservative, and that's why a bad special teams decision to run the fake punt, a shank punt, and then the missed field goal can ultimately doom you because you wanted to play this game so close to the vest with your ground game where you were dominant for long stretches until you weren't, and then all of a sudden you had to break class in case of emergency and try and run the Josh Allen save us offense at the end of the game that fell short because you had a couple receivers in key spots make bad plays, and then Josh missed the one big throw at the end of the game that people are going to harp on there, but largely another superhuman effort from that guy. There was a touchdown throw in that game where Josh broke contained, shimmy shook a linebacker for the Chiefs, and then threaded that ball into the corner of the end zone that maybe him and Mahomes can make and nobody else in the NFL. So I'm sorry, I can't do the weird Josh Allen discourse that came off that game. The guy's an incredible quarterback. They got other things they need to figure out around that yeah. roster to make sure that they go out and try and get this done while they can still physically get the things out of Josh that you get in the running game and otherwise. Yeah, they got to keep their window open there. But if they get to a Super Bowl, it's going to be because of Josh. But a lot of people are saying if they don't, it's because of Josh. And I'm with you. I don't. I don't buy that. You have to look at it as well as competition. You got Kansas City and Mahomes. You have now a two-time MVP, or you will, in Lamar Jackson once he wins it in a great defense. So uh, there's pretty good competition in the AFC. Yep, 100%. There is, and that's always a factor in all this, but at a certain point, people don't matter, and they say if you're that good, yep. you should be winning, yep. you should be moving on more. We'll see if that prompts questions about the head coach who's been at the subject of a lot of scrutiny in the course of this season. But um, let's uh, – oh, all right, we've got a little bit of breaking news here. Um, this courtesy of Tom Palisaro at the NFL Network. Uh, a change in Green Bay. Joe Barry, their defensive coordinator, will not return next season, according to sources. Dad, this one's interesting because yeah, this was, well. I think, the prevailing feeling down the stretch of the regular season. But including the end of the year and the postseason that we saw, both playoff games, Joe Barry's group acquitted itself a lot better than I think I expected going into those matchups. You called their most recent one. How surprised are you by this? Not. I mean, I, I, I thought this was coming. I mean, for most of the year, there had been some discontent on that side of the ball with Joe, Joe Barry and what he ran and the talent that he had on that side of the ball with man's own, how he was playing things and how he was using personnel. It just it didn't seem to be fitting. And, and again, we know how this works. It's easy to change the one instead of the many, you know, in, in the secondary. You had the highest paid cornerback in Jair Alexander, went through some injuries, had the nice pick against uh, uh, the Cowboys, uh, and a, a, a defense that was very shaky early on and did start playing better at the end of the season. But I deep down did not think it was going to be enough to save Joe Barry's job. I, f I figured this one is not surprising to me all. This I actually kind of expected. No, and it would be interesting to see the direction they go in this because I think what you saw is when Jair Alexander was fully healthy down the stretch and in the playoff games, that was a team that with, I mean, Kenny Clark probably had one of the more underrated playoff stretches in these last right. two games of anyone we talked about through the wild card or divisional round in the pressure he was consistently applying. But they were able to bother one of the best offenses in the league in the San Francisco 49ers for the bulk of that game. So uh, that's a group with a ton of first round talent. Jair Alexander, obviously, 
obviously their money guy in the secondary, but you look at the guys they've drafted all over the place most recently, guys like Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt up front, a lot of the Georgia contingency in that group. And Dad, a paramount hire for Matt LaFleur, knowing what they're building on offense right now. The young core yep. over there that came in a lot less heralded than the group on defense that they were constantly drafting during the end of the Aaron Rodgers tenure. So a, a big time decision here for them to see if that team's going to remain one of the power players in the NFC going forward. Dad, while we're talking about people that are now out of the playoffs here, let's get to a few of our divisional round superlatives here and talk about the, the eliminated team that we're most confident in going forward. The most confident loser coming off this last weekend, Dad, who should feel best about the performance they put out there as it pertains to going towards next season? Well, I mean, I, I would say Green Bay, right? I mean, they took the number one seed and they lost by three. They had a chance. They had the ball with a chance to go down and at least try and get a tie with a field goal. You had a tough throw by Jordan Love, a learning experience by him, throwing cross-body interception at the end. You know, the Texas got buried in the second half, but Baltimore such a good team. But they're the biggest surprise, I think, to reach that far, even though we were surprised at Tampa Bay making it to that divisional round. The Texans even making the playoffs. We were surprised because somebody was going to make it out of the NFC South. Uh, but I would say the team with the most potential, and I'm taking the Chiefs and the, and the Bills, I'm taking the Bills out of it because we yeah, always oh, yeah. put them as one of the top teams there anyway. I would say the Packers, you know, where Detroit clearly has that division in tow right now, the Packers, what they're building on offense, and then I agree with you what Matt LaFleur is going to do with the defensive coordinator, I like what they're building there. Yeah, I'm with you. The Bills didn't gain anything. Like, they didn't learn anything about no. themselves. Josh no. Allen's a space alien. They need more help in the receiver room opposite Diggs, and it's still Patrick Mahomes versus everybody else in that conference right now. So I'm with you there. I, I could throw C.J. Stroud up there, too, just because this year was such a revelation. I mean, one of the best rookie quarterback seasons we've seen in God knows how long. And seeing how far you still have to go against the top team in the AFC like Baltimore, I think is a good reminder coming off that year that there's still a lot of moves this tech team has to make and a lot of maturing they have to do that 11 to 3 penalty disparity that we talked about pretty big there dad let's go most important playoff duo uh left in this game you've got Mahomes, uh, Mahomes and Kelsey obviously for Kansas City you could go Lamar Jackson and I'd say anyone in his tight end room namely Isaiah Likely right now the Lions running back duo uh there with David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs or I could even throw in their rookie pairing there with Sam Laporta and Jameer Gibbs what do you look at as the most important duo left in the postseason well, I mean, we've seen Mahomes pull magic, you know, out of his hat with other people that, and then Kelsey, so you still give him the benefit of the doubt. We'll see about Debo Samuel. Did not crack his shoulder, uh, so we'll see about him playing. I would probably lean toward the Lions and the running backs. The 49ers had been a bit susceptible to the run. They did get Eric Armstead back for this last playoff game. That certainly helped them in the middle, but they had been a bit susceptible. So that one-two punch of Gibbs and Montgomery, not only running but catching the ball out of the backfield, I think is going to be huge to go along with Laporta and with uh, St. Brown. Uh, but I would probably lean there. And if the Lions can get a running a game going with those two guys really get incorporated in that offense, I think that's going to be huge for them. 
Yeah, that's the that's the weakness right now. That's the Achilles heel for the 49ers and Jameer Gibbs in the open field breaking tackles. He's done a little bit of everything down the home stretch of the season. I would even go outside of Mahomes and Kelsey for this game. I'd probably go Mahomes and Rasheed Rice, basically the only other receiving yeah. option they've got, just because down the middle of Baltimore's defense ain't where you want to live. Travis Kelsey's great, but Kyle Hamilton, Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, what that defense has done for the majority of the year in that area, that's going to be a tough matchup, and I'm sure there's going to be eyes on Kelsey because that's how opposing defenses have to approach the Chiefs first and foremost and so can Rasheed Rice do what he's done all year in finding room and especially run after the catch room in that offense I think going to go a long way if they're going to pull what would be the upset against the number one seed dad let's finish off with this one saddest ending in Buffalo in terms of tradition from this season we've had the pizza parties that went on among the offensive line there we had the sacrifice to the pit that had become popular over at the new stadium they were building apparently fans sacrificing themselves in the name of wins we had peppa pig who appeared in the paramount plus ad with josh allen show up to the game and then of course we had the uh win streak that had built up since the resurgent story <laughs> about sean mcdermott's really problematic speech from 2019 which are you going to be saddest to say goodbye to i gotta believe the pit sacrifice right people just knowingly throwing themselves off what like a plank on a ship you know and just falling into snow i mean and to think that's it, that's doing it. I mean, I love fans. They, they are incredible on what they believe will help their team win. So that, uh, that's pretty amazing to me. So I'll go with the pit sacrifice. I, that one is the most on brand with the Buffalo Bills, especially because their fan base has so many traditions like that built into just getting to enter the parking lot for them. Part of me is going to miss Peppa Pig. I was glad we got to see yeah. the in-person mascot version of Peppa. That ad, for people that haven't seen it, and I, I'm not a shill for Paramount Plus. I don't think I have Paramount Plus, quite honestly. I think that was kind of where I drew the line in terms of streaming services. But the commercials all time. And for me, I think it was Megatron saying silence Jim Nance in that commercial that I'm going to have internalized and used for meme material everywhere. But Peppa Pig there <laughs> hanging out with the Buffalo Bills mascot, trying to upstage Taylor Swift as best Peppa could and failing there. I'm a Miss Peppa Pig. It's the most wonderful time of the year. March Madness, getting ready to go in college basketball. And we got some of the best stars in the sport finally trying to close the deal. Zach Eady at Purdue trying to see if he can cap off an historic career with a championship, much like his counterpart on the women's side and Caitlin Clark, who's been one of the biggest names in sports this entire year and is looking to see if she can snag that elusive championship that's eluded her during her career. Regardless of who makes it to that final game of the tourney, though, one thing's for certain. It's going to take the most talented people like the two I just mentioned working together to help these teams play at a high level. If you're hiring, you want the most talented people on your team to help your business go to the next level. How do you find them? ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter uses matching technology to score excellent candidates for your job. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And once you review your list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply, so they're more likely to apply sooner. Pick ZipRecruiter to help you build a winning team. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free, ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. More coaching carousel news going around. Brian Johnson is out as the Eagles offensive coordinator. The team interviewed Cliff Kingsbury on Tuesday to fill the role. Johnson is just the latest of Sirianni's staff to get the boot. The Eagles are also set to part ways with defensive coordinator Sean Desai, defensive play caller Matt Patricia, according to ESPN and multiple sources. Guys, what do we think of this staff overhaul for Sirianni? He's come under... A lot of scrutiny for the Eagles' late-season collapse here, and now, you know, a lot of people are being shown the door. Well, let you know that Nick Sirianni officially enters next year on the hot seat, Dad, because you and yep. I both know once you fire all the coordinators, there's only one person left to blame at the top of this. You just gave Jalen Hurts all that money, so it ain't going to be him. So Nick Sirianni officially playing for his job for the majority of next season is my biggest takeaway from this. And are you surprised at all they decided to go this route and not just fire Sirianni, much in the same way we just talked about with the Milwaukee Bucks doing that with Adrian Griffin? I, I mean, so you're looking at two years in a row, right? Uh, after yeah. losing, you know, um, to, to Gannon and Steichen to, to, to the coordinators to head coaching jobs, now you fire these two. So you lose two to head coaching, and then you figure, okay, now it's kind of on you who you're going to bring in, and you are ten and one, even though you don't look like ten and one. You are ten and one. You are what your record says you are. At least you're that. And then the bottom falls out, and now you fire your coordinator so you got to try it again so I'm with you this next season he is clearly going to be on the hot seat so now you're going three years in a row with three different offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators which is not the greatest thing in the world for any team let alone a veteran team who is ready to win right now to be changing yet again and the the biggest the biggest kind of gripe here was while Brian Johnson was the OC they didn't feel like it was his offense that was out there Right, so there seemed to be that clash of Nick and Brian on what offense was going to be run, uh, and it just and, and and that's the thing. I mean, what kind of head coach are you? You're are you a CEO head coach that lets your O coordinator and D coordinator do their thing? Are you do you have your your kind of fingerprints on everything? Which I get, you want to have your fingerprints on everything, but how much? You know, how much so are you offering suggestions or are you saying, no, don't do that, do this? I mean, there's that interplay of guys you put in charge uh, as opposed to, you know, how much you're mingling in there. And as a head coach, the end of the day, Nick Sirianni is a head coach. And most head coaches say, you know what, if I'm going to go down with the ship, I'm going to go down making my decisions. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting how that plays in the rest of the locker room. I saw Jeremy Fowler reporting that there were a lot of people supposedly inside the building that weren't happy about how this went down. And yeah, you know this, Dad, coaching is an incredibly loyal business. And so the idea that you're churning through these guys or that the blame is being cast there, if it might have been some of Sirianni meddling, because to your point, going back to year one, there was the big to-do to made when he turned over play calling midway through that season and gave way to a more run-heavy attack that ended up making them more successful. And so I I wonder how much of the Nick Sirianni we see in public is the guy that we see in private, right? The guy that's like very emotional, very brash, uh, you know, uh, kind of, you know, taunting other fan bases, doing the stuff that played really well for the fan base when they were winning. But I, I don't always think would make for great, consistent leadership behind closed doors, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess now, and, and you, we've talked about this before, both of us having played, you deal with the assistant coaches much more than the head coach. So now yeah. you're giving your players on both sides of the ball, a veteran team, new coordinators now to deal with. 
and new ways of, of basically doing business. And we'll see if any position coaches are in that fray as well, if coordinators want to bring in other guys or how that's going to work as well. But you're bringing in change. You know, change for a really – you could see change for a bad team, but this is a good team that played very bad, right? And now you're bringing change in. And I get, you know, change is inevitable in a lot of places. But, yeah, this is squarely going to be on Nick on how he – how he who he brings in and what he lets them do, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You know, because that, that, that's his side of the ball. So whatever coordinator he brings in, you know, who knows? Maybe you want to call plays again. I don't know. But there, there's got to be that defined role, right? Well, especially if things go wrong, you can see like that's the usual playbook for how this stuff goes is all of a sudden the head coach who's the coordinator on a certain side of the ball takes back over play calling when things get tough because he recognizes his job's on the line and he'd rather go down because he's swinging the bat himself than watching somebody else do it for him. But it feels like overall, Dad, the Eagles are at a really interesting inflection point now, right now where it feels like it's sitting on a knife's edge because think about what you're also going to lose this offseason. Potentially the retirement of Jason Kelsey, who's one of the most important yep. leaders on your team. Guys like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, I believe, are free agents heading into this offseason, who are the core of the Eagles roster that was there for the prior Super Bowl and then helped make the run last year, where now all of a sudden you're a locker room that's dealing with new voices at both coordinator spots. At the very least, some uncertainty about your head coach's command of the entire situation. And now you could potentially lose multiple of the most important leadership voices on both sides of the ball at this juncture right now where public confidence in your quarterback is at an all-time low it, it really makes you wonder of it makes the 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 premium paid on what the eagles do through the first quarter of the season next year is going to be huge in determining yeah. the long-term output here at a place that we know has very emotional responses to what happens quickly in the fan base yeah and, and you think you know you build a little bit in going to a super bowl and having some success uh but you know you're, you're going to go into this season with a lot of these changes again, you're and you're right with a fan base that can that can get on you pretty quickly. But also, I think ownership, the Lorries would see. You know, you've got you've got a really good team here that has really been underachieved this year. And if you start to do it again next year, there's not going to be a long leash on that. No, uh, you, it shouldn't. And I, I think. In a weird way, they remind me a lot in some ways of the Los Angeles Rams from 2022, where they were, I think, just too injured at a certain point to party right, at some right. important places. And for the Rams in 2022, historic levels of injury along the offensive line. And with a quarterback like Matthew Stafford, who was then injured because of that, Aaron Donald got banged up. It was just a wash of a year. And I think by the end of the season, between injuries to your quarterback that had kind of persisted all year, injuries on offense with A.J. Brown not playing in that game, but the defense just decimated in the middle and the well, second level in a way that made them almost non-compete. That's where I look at more as the offense because the defense got decimated, right, in that back seven, just destroyed. And every, every team goes through injuries every year. It's how you deal with it. I get it. But they went through a lot. Offensively, I know Jalen was nicked up some, and A.J. just had missed that, that uh, you know, the playoff game. But, I mean, for the most part, they had all their weapons all year on offense, right? And it's so weird to say they were 10-1. and one. They were 10-1, and one, yet nobody really felt confident about it. We just kept saying, kind of like with San Francisco we kept say, or, or with Kansas City, well, they'll stop dropping the ball. They'll stop dropping the ball. Well, they're still dropping the ball some, but they're still winning. And in Philadelphia, we kept, we kept saying, 
oh, they're 10-1, but they're not playing that well. They'll get it. They'll get it. They'll get back to what they were, and they never did. They actually got worse than what they were. So I'm more interested on the offensive side of the ball where they had less injuries than the defensive side of the ball on how they're going to react next year. And the first thing has got to be what's the relationship with Nick Sirianni and the offensive coordinator? Because to your point, to go look no further than Dallas. Mike McCarthy's like, my, my ass is on the line. I'm calling plays. Kellen Moore, we'll see you. This is my gig now. So I don't know where Nick's going to go. I don't know if, if, if Nick truly feels, you know, and, and players and coaches usually know more than anybody else where, they, where the writing is on the wall. If he realizes that it might be the hot seat for him, he may say, you know what, I'm doing it. It's going to be on me. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It's a good reminder, and we talked about this with Amin as it pertained to the Milwaukee Bucks in basketball. That old phrase, you are what your record says you are, not always true. And the 2023 yeah. Philadelphia Eagles and Buffalo Bills are the two most recent examples of that, where we all looked at those teams, one whose record said they were bad and one whose record said they were good, and said these two things do not feel the same at all. And that's part of analysis, is being able to see where the cracks are before they start to actually affect you. But this Philadelphia Eagles team, oversimplified on offense, offense and did not have the horses at time during the year to go out there and just beat people based on sheer will alone how much is Nick Sirianni going to adjust is ultimately going to be the question that decides his future in Philadelphia and from there then it gets really complicated because you had Jalen Hurts trending in a really positive direction for a long time played an incredible Super Bowl you could argue outplayed the best quarterback in the NFL during that game and by the end of the season looked like a shell of himself that's where it's got to start what's the relationship with whoever's calling plays and Jalen Hurts look like in rebuilding that. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a watch party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub, because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings, and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. The 2024 MLB Hall of Fame class is set. Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, jo Todd Helton are officially going into Cooperstown. Guys, uh, players need a 75% approval from voting members here. Beltre got 95.1%, Maurer 76.1%. Both of those two guys getting in on their first year on the ballot. Helton made it in his sixth attempt. He had 79.7% of the voting. So congratulations to these men. They are in. They are in, Dad, and uh, all very different paths, uh, like Jesse mentioned there. Uh, Todd Helton uh, on the back end there. I think in a lot of people's mind, voters sort of uh, always turned off by what goes on at Coors Field because of the yeah. altitude yeah. and all the differences out there in Colorado, but all very deserving, a really strong class here. I, I like, you know, you don't see it, I don't think as won't see it as much anymore is Maurer and, and, uh, and uh, Helton both with one team through their entire career. Joe Maurer, by the way, I always wondered if he played football. This is a good side. He was like 6'5", 230. This was one hell of a big athlete. Won the batting title, I think, three times. Uh, was the MVP in, in 09. 
one of six catchers with three gold gloves and three silver sluggers. I mean, but his size, I always thought, man, this dude now, he picked the right sport to save his body a little more, even though as a catcher, you certainly can get beat up a lot. But, man, that, that dude was an athlete for Guys, sure. Joe Maurer, actually, fun fact, he's the first player in any of the four major sports, uh, MLB, NBA, NFL, NHL history, to be drafted number one overall by a team from his birth state play 15-plus seasons for that team, and reach the Hall of Fame. Very specific wow. set of qualifications, but first guy to do it. That is the most baseball stat of all time, <laughs> where it goes through eight different filters, as Brandon Newmoon, our great producer, would call that. That's an ESPN baseball stat uh, for the ages there. So congratulations but, to him. I don't yeah. know what sign that puts him at uh, or anything yeah. like that, but... Uh, it's this is an amazing Hall of Fame with you have to get to 75 percent. Right. And you're just like Gary Sheffield got like 64 percent. It was his 10th and final year on the ballot. You know, you have X amount of time. We went through this with the steroid era guys uh, as well when they weren't getting on, you know, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and those about not getting on and how many years it takes. It's always very interesting. Beltre was uh, was easy. You know, as you said, 90, what was it, 95%? One of four players, 400 homers, 3,000 hits, all getting five gold gloves. I mean, he was the no-brainer. Uh, as well but it's just it's kind of a wild kind of hall of fame where you know you need those percentages and you see them going up each year and you put together how many years do I have left where's my percentage how can I get my percentage to go up maybe it'll go up now because these guys went into the hall so now I'll get the votes kind of a wild thing to, to decide who's going in the hall of fame you're telling me baseball overcomplicated something with numbers yeah. I'm shocked God stunned even yeah well, and i mean you mentioned the backdrop of all the steroid guys that they haven't let yeah. in in a way that i think for a lot of especially joke. casual fans really devalues not not devalues i should say but sort of just a weird backdrop for every discussion of every hall of fame class especially during the peak years when so many of those guys were denied access that were a huge part of our baseball life because that's what this all is it's a nostalgia trip every time where you see the guys that were central figures in your right. childhood for one reason or another and when so many of us saw our childhood denied a lot of us looked at the hall of fame and the baseball writers this high and mighty group of people that decided to wag their finger at an era that most of them profited off of as sort of ridiculous it's a joke and i've always said even guys in the steroid era should be in the hall remember the hall is also is like a museum right and you can put in there that era if you want on a plaque this era was no whatever blah 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 but but i'm tired of the, the people that were saying with you know remember the great mcguire sosa home run race and people are like oh if we knew they were on steroids and we never would have watched oh you're so full of it you are so full of it that you wouldn't have watched you know if why if would we you knew care, they man? were on steroids because it I, I, wasn't I mean, very obvious when yeah, we were watching seriously seriously i mean it's a joke how it, you know and again if you tested positive you tested positive but there were guys that didn't test positive and still are kept out uh, of the hall but you know if you test positive you weren't going to get in with these writers and the thought was it would change as the the voting writers started to churn through and we'd get to a younger crew uh, as opposed to the older crew, if that would change, but not soon enough, you know, for the likes of Bonds and Roger Clemens, who who absolutely should be in the Hall of Fame. 
I can't, you know what it makes me nostalgic for now talking about all this? Because we see so much of the NIL and college football right now being debated by Congress and all the rules being talked about as it pertains to the future of that sport. I miss having our baseball stars of old sitting up having to answer questions in front of Congress, yeah. sitting up yeah. there trying yes. to lie through their teeth about their steroid yes. use. Those were so the glory true. days, man. Pictures of Mark McGuire finger wagging yeah. at Congress. That's the sport. That's the version of baseball I want back. People always talk about the massive there's no greater move for mass appeal of your sport than your players having to sit before Congress and ask about the drugs that they shot into their butt cheeks. Yeah, uh, that they said they didn't, Supposedly. and you could Allegedly. tell they did and knew they did. I mean, my God, it was, it was yeah. something. But I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to hear it from the people that said I never would have watched that I know. And I mean, give me a break. Just stop. You, uh, you mentioned Joe Maurer uh, as both the number one baseball and football prospect. I saw Dan Orlovsky, our old colleague, tweet. They were the senior uh, in the same senior class coming out of high school. And Dan tweeted, he goes, I remember Tom Lemming, who is one of the you know, great recruiting analysts yep. for all of us coming up, raving, saying this kid in Minnesota was the best player oh. in both sports. In an era where we saw most recently a guy like Kyler Murray come closest to this kind of distinction. Joe Maurer, one of the OGs in that spot with the physical prowess at both. So congratulations to this 2024 Major League Baseball Hall of Fame class up there. While we're doling out, congratulations, Dad. Congratulations to friend of the program, Katie Nolan, on her third-place visit or finish on Celebrity Jeopardy. Last night going final there. Katie made a great run there. I believe $100,000 uh, yeah. donation made to her charity that I'm going to pull up right now to make sure that I get right, uh, that I get right here. $100,000 donation to the... Um, Association for Women in Sports Media, the charity yeah. that she had been playing on behalf of there that helps create opportunities, both networking and otherwise, for women trying to get into sports media, which obviously very near to Katie, very near and dear to us. But, Dad, in dramatic fashion oh. last night, I appreciate Katie going out on her shield. She swung big on this in the name of trying to win and wasn't just going to sit idly by and let things happen. She did, but it was uh, Mo Rocca, I think that says Roca or Rocca, the guy who swang, 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 swung swang. the biggest? Swanging. I, I don't know him. He's a journalist and a podcast host. And the other uh, woman in it was Lisa Ann Walk, uh, Walter, stand-up comedian. She was also uh, in Parent Trap uh, as well. I had a big role in Parent Trap. Very funny uh, young lady. And going into Triple Jeopardy, it was... It was Katie who had the lead. She was at over 19,000, and Roca was in last. He was at 10,000. And Lisa Ann Walter was right in the $14,000 range. And Roca, with about four categories left, got a, uh, a, um, a daily double. It was a video daily double on like a $600 category, so not even one of the tougher, you know, of the category. And he bet all. He bet the whole amount, ten thousand dollars, and he got it right. So he took the lead. He got to twenty thousand. So by final Jeopardy, it was twenty thousand. Katie with ten, and I believe Lisa Ann Walter with about fourteen. And the final Jeopardy answer was the Butler did it. That was that was the answer. And both Katie and Mo got it wrong. They were the first yeah. and second. They both got it wrong. Lisa Ann Walter got it right. She won a million dollars for her. Her uh, charity was the Entertainment Community Fund, but she was stunned. Everybody was stunned 
that she was the only one who got this one right, came out of nowhere and, and won it. You mentioned Katie, 100 grand. Mo got 250,000. But congrats to Katie. I mean, she was a stud through this. Absolutely oh. fantastic through this thing. An absolute machine. She put Steven yep. Weber in a body bag in the last yep. round here. That yep. guy, I mean, give me a break with the way he acted on that show. And we heard and saw on Pablo Torre finds out, apparently that was even spicier behind the scenes with what Ooh. he was doing and the antics that he was pulling there. And Katie promptly stuffed him in that locker with the obituary joke that seemed harsh at the time until you know the backstory. Steven Weber, official enemy of the show on behalf of our friend Katie Nolan. I'm declaring that right now. Persona non grata around here. Katie Nolan and forever dominant jeopardy performance in the celebrity jeopardy rounds DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs, is bringing you an offer that'll help make these playoffs electrifying. New customers, you can bet five bucks on any game and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with all the lines, odds, and props for all of this weekend's championship round NFL games. And man, what a sign of the times that the Kansas City Chiefs are actually playing in a game with the lower point total of the weekend. The over-under for Chiefs-Ravens set at 44 and a half, while the Lions and 49ers, the number sitting right there at 51 as they expect points of plenty in the NFC title game. You can go and figure out which side you want to be on. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code GOJO. New customers can bet just 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code GOJO. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, guys, time for this, that, the third. Three quick stories to end the day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review us. Leave us a five-star rating and try and catch us live if you can, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, here on the DraftKings Network, the DraftKingsNetwork.com, the YouTube channel. You can also find us streaming on Samsung TV Plus and Roku. And if you miss us at any of those spots or our great guests, big thanks to Amin El Hassan, NBA analyst for here at the DraftKings Network and co-host of Oddball with Charlotte Wilder every day but monday here on dkn uh you can catch that wherever you get your podcast or right here on youtube as soon as we get done with the show and guys let's get to this that and the third we had breaking news courtesy of the new heights podcast hosted by jason and travis kelsey of nfl fame over the weekend we talked about the bills chiefs game and one of the images that no one will be able to get rid of is a shirtless jason kelsey screaming out the window of the suite that he was in with Taylor Swift. Jason and his wife Kylie made the trip since the Eagles were eliminated, and a lot of people were wondering, was this the first time that sexy Batman had actually met what could be his future sister-in-law in Taylor Swift? And we got the answer today, courtesy of the podcast. Take a listen. She was already telling me to be on my best behavior because we were meeting Taylor. This is hilarious. I was like, Kylie, when I met you, the first day I met you, I was blacked out drunk and fell asleep at the bar. <laughs> this is part of the charm. This is part of the Jason Kelsey charm. 
I want to make my best first impression. This is my best chance. My best first impression is the worst impression ever. So I, I, I can just build Set from that, that point. Nice oh, yeah, exactly. The bar is on the floor. No, just kidding. Wow. Uh, you guys, wow. we hoped and prayed, hoped and prayed that this was the first time they met. And the fact that it was is just, it's everything we could have dreamed. I, I, I don't know if, if Jason... If if Jason Kelsey could have grown any bigger in our eyes, yeah, but he did because we asked that question. We were like, "Was that the first time they met?" Couldn't be the first time they met because again, Kylie was in the booth. Jason's wife saw him shirtless doing his thing and just was like, "Ho hum!" Because as Jason said, the first time he met his wife, he was blackout drunk and fell asleep at a bar. This is who he is, man. I mean. I am so happy to find out that this is, hey, hey, uh, Taylor, nice to meet you. Excuse me, I got to go take my shirt off, chug a beer and belch against a window and, you know, slam my, my body against it. I mean, how awesome is this? This is the guy that's going to give the talk at their wedding. He is going to give the best man speech, probably without his shirt on by the time he gives it at this wedding. I feel like Taylor and also, also Taylor has had such dramatic relationships that have spawned a lot of, uh, you know, lyrics that are very angsty and dark and twisty. And it's like, girlfriend, how are you going to write about this one? Like, what? What? It's going to have to be an upbeat pop song. We're not going to be able to have some folklore style stuff about these guys. I was going to I was going to say everyone, I think, immediately when it comes to Taylor Swift ex siblings, thinks of Maggie Gyllenhaal because the scarf referenced in All Too Well is the red scarf left at your sister's house. That song about Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't know what article of clothing is going to be left at Jason's house because he's not going to wear any. But, Dad, this is also part of dating in your 30s. You got to find out answers a little bit quicker. You're old enough to know what you want. You're trying to figure out if this is going to be forever or if it's going to go down in flames. And in this case, that means, hey, you're going to have to get to know the family. And so, why? beat around the subject of Jason Kelsey. Oh. Why try and actively have him be something he's not? You get full Jason all the time. It is full send with him. And I think that's actually in its own way helpful in the relationship process to know, am I going to be able to handle this or not? I have a ton of credit and respect for my brother-in-law, Ben Broniker. My sister's husband, who the very first time he met our family, he came down to South Bend on the weekend he was finding out whether he had a job or not in the NFL and met everyone in our family, all of Sydney's friends, at the same time. And walking into that hornet's nest of insane people is yeah. no small task, but he knew on the other side of it. All right, I can survive that. That's going to be the same for, tra for Taylor here. Yeah, that was a hell of a test. That's for sure. Thank I remember God. that weekend. Um, the, the thing, how about for Taylor Swift? What a different crew she's hanging with now, what she's been used to, right? From the entertainment world to hanging around football players and kind of the football environment and then that going on in a suite. Got to be, a, I'm sorry, got to be a breath of fresh air for her, quite honestly. Yeah. Got to be a ton of fun. Amazing. Also, just really quick, had to add that they, uh, Jason Kelsey shared that uh, tweet from, or I'm sorry, he tweeted a screenshot of his phone that someone had texted him that his daughter had said, daddy's boobies are showing because yes. she <laughs> saw the, the pictures of him out. And I just thought that was the funniest thing that I had seen in a while because kids say the darndest things. Yeah, listen, for that kid, it's another day that ended in Y. Daddy's yeah. showing his boobies. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Yep. Everyone there, not surprised. Taylor Swift learning the drill very quickly. Guys, <laughs> let's get to that. This popped up on my radar yesterday thanks to a tweet from T-Pain, who, by the way, T-Pain, listen, our people are reaching out, really want to have you on the show, cultural icon, important figure in my life. And one of the people that's in the lineup 
for Lovers and Friends Fest, Dad, a concert taking place Saturday, May 4th in Las Vegas that happened last year, too. So this is a real event because a lot of people were questioning, based on the lineup for this, how this could be possible. The lineup includes artists such as Janet Jackson, Lil Wayne, Nas, Ludacris, Nelly, Akon, Neo, Usher, Snoop Dogg, Alicia Keys, Mary J. Blige, Ja Rule, T-Pain, The Backstreet Boys, Gwen Stefani, Nelly Furtado, Sierra, TLC, MIA. I mean, Dad, you're getting down into the fine print on this with artists like David Banner, Little Flip, Plies, Juvenile, Paul Wall, Twista. The fact that they're going to have all these people in one place presents the biggest logistical nightmare of a challenge for any concert goer. Because, Dad, you got to decide who you're going to leave on the cutting room floor when you go and attend this show. So, so I don't know uh, about this concert. Is it a weekend? Is it a few days? It's is like it one day. Dad, it is one day. It is May Wait, 4th. they're all going to play in one day. one day? How long do they get to play? Five minutes? I mean, when this thing would have to start at five in the morning for everybody to play I actually didn't realize that it was amount. just one day. It's one day? Oh, my gosh. It's Saturday, May 4th. So you got, like, this is the entire, this is basically the musical soundtrack of my entire life up and through college. Wow. Like, all of these artists in some way, shape, or form have influenced and impacted my life here. And so I have to make a decision, like, am I going to go see Lil Wayne, where the Carter Three was the soundtrack for my first summer in college, or the Backstreet Boys, whose Millennium album ushered me through my time in middle school? Or Akon. Akon's going to be there. We were just talking about him. Akon, wow. I mean, this shout out is... to my buddy Kyle Rudolph, probably his favorite artist during college and something that was on repeat in our apartment that we lived in. That's it. Now, again, I don't know the venue. They got to have multiple stages, I would imagine, as well, because oh, you're yeah. doing so much changing as well. One day, all these groups, that is, Mike, you got to go to this. I have to, have to. At Gojo and Golik on Twitter, build your dream day. You've got to pick, I'll say, five artists from Lovers and Friends Fest are the only ones that you can see throughout the course of the day. Send us your dream concert weekend at this show. I have to get there. You're absolutely right, Dad. We're going to find a way to see if we can also do it on DraftKings Dime. Somehow this could be content. <laughs> Let's uh, talk tax after this. In the meantime, let's get to the third. We had the Oscar nominations come out the other day, and this is the Oscars already have such a poor a poor uh, reputation of representation at this award show and really missed the plot. Barbie, one of the biggest movies of this last year, part of the Bob Barbie and Oppenheimer phenomenon that got so many people back to the theaters. A movie about female empowerment, representation, the difficulty of being a woman in the modern world saw snubs and nominations for Margot Robbie, the film's lead, and Greta Gerwig, the film's director, while Ryan Gosling was nominated for his role as Best Supporting Actor in this movie. Dad, they took the Barbie movie and essentially nominated the only dude from it there. Now, America Ferreira also received a nomination, and that shouldn't go unnoticed. But talk about reinforcing the reason why this movie was made. Oscars, you should be ashamed of yourselves. This is ridiculous. Justice for Greta. Uh, I don't think this yeah. movie. I, I like the movie. I wouldn't give it any Oscars. I'm not really nah. outraged. No. I, I hear yeah, what I'm you're saying. I, Greta Gerwig yeah. turned this into a monster, so if anybody should have been nominated, I she think did. it should have been her. But I, I'm sorry. Like I think it's a great movie with a great message, and I enjoyed it, and I enjoy the message, obviously. But I don't think this is like an Oscar-worthy yeah. I don't Film, either. I think like, it was a nice movie. Nice yeah. Greta, I think, is the one. I agree on that. But 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't go. Oh my God! I can't believe they got snubbed the way they did. No, I, shame that, that on you guys. This movie brought people back to the theaters. This is why you guys and the coastal elites want to keep this and movies like Top Gun away from winning awards for being good films that people actually like. Greta Gerwig, Margot Robbie, you guys are Kenuff for me and should have been for the Oscars. <laughs> if we were Kenuff, download, subscribe, rate, review us. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.